With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples. There are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Choose from a great selection of digital coupons and use them up to five times in one transaction. Check our app for details. Baker's, fresh for everyone. It's wintertime. When temperatures go down, the likelihood goes up that your furnace and other appliances go down with them. So don't risk a costly replacement. Stay comfortable with coverage on the appliances you depend on most with the Service Guard Appliance Repair Program from Black Hills Energy. It's peace of mind in a plan. Visit blackhillsenergy.com slash sign up to learn more. Hello, everybody, to this week's episode of In the Marbles. I am Matt Beamer alongside Preston Lude. Preston, how's it going? It's going great, Beamer. How's it going with you? Good, man. How was your Thanksgiving? It was good. It was uh, action-packed. Well, I want to say action-packed. I'm sorry. Busy. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, it was busy here, too, at the Beamer household. I mean, for you, well, I mean, yeah, that sounds busy, but, I mean, did you have to go anywhere, or was it just here? No, I came home. And that was it? And deep-fried the turkey, mm-hmm. and... Celebrated Thanksgiving with my family and friends. I did see the Facebook uh, stories from your wife's Facebook page of you deep frying the turkey. Yeah, we had a lot of fun with that. I'm glad we didn't burn down the house or I severely burned myself. I'm glad everything went off without a hitch. That's good. I had to go to like three different houses on Thanksgiving. That's a bummer. Yeah, you're telling me. So we have a lot of this episode of In the Marbles. We're going to cover our decade in NASCAR Cup Series from 2010 all the way to 2019 and give our input on it on this decade in racing. But before that, we got some racing news. So NASCAR has decided they want to expand to eight new markets by 2022, which means the introduction of street courses. Yeah. In conjunction with Indy, I bet that's a little Roger Pinsky behind the scenes right there do, Absolutely. doing You're right. that. You're right. But what do you think of that? Um, I don't know. You know, I think it would be going into a new market is always exciting, I guess you could say. I mean, the unknown could is both exciting and makes people nervous, of course. But, I mean, it seems like NASCAR's trying to reach out more and trying to attract more, not only more fans probably into the sport at this point, but uh, manufacturers is what I was looking for. I did read the article that they were talking about IndyCar, like in Long Beach, California, you know, 
And then, like, of course, the article I read, too, was talking about Formula One wanting to go to Miami around, you know, with side streets and whatnot around um, Hard... Uh, is it Hard Rock Stadium? Yeah, Hard Rock Stadium. Yeah, Hard Rock Stadium. So, I mean, it... Heck, I don't know. I mean, it could be interesting. Once I saw the article, I started thinking about possible locations where they could probably go with something like this. And then you have California, which is going to then have three races. You're going to have Auto Club, Speedway, Sonoma, and then Long Beach. Yeah. But I wonder if which tracks are going to go away to expand this. Ooh, that's a that's a good question. Is the Sonoma going to go away? Is a a race maybe with at two different tracks, maybe a Bristol or a Texas? I a, see a I see a track that if that holds two dates would probably be the one they get a date cut out. I mean, we already saw New Hampshire, was it? New Hampshire's down to one race, I believe. Yeah, it's New Hampshire. I think so. Yeah, New Hampshire is already down to one date. They got rid of their other date. And I can't remember what NASCAR substituted in for that, but does NASCAR stay with 36 races or do they expand just a little bit further at this point? I don't think they'll expand anymore. I think they're going to more... So you're thinking that they're going to try and keep it at 36? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. 36, I think, is a good number for a season. If they do drop it, they're not going to drop it below 30s, maybe 32 races. Now, now, also what comes in, what I'm coming to my mind at this point is if NASCAR, let's say NASCAR decides that they come up with a track to race a street race at. I know that they want to expand to multiple markets, you know, starting in 2021 or 22. Do they expand and try and go to a different road street course every year? So, say, maybe a Long Beach one year and then maybe the next year they figure out, oh, maybe we can go to like New York City or like Miami. Do they go to a different course every year or do they kind of or do they try and come up with maybe two or three street road courses? It's so weird to try and say street course, you know. I, I see where you're going with that. And I don't think they're going to try to pick and choose. They're going to try to make contracts up mm -hmm. for maybe five, ten years whatever their length of contract is. I think they want something set in stone for the future. So maybe they'll try out these things. I don't know. It could be like a test run. At it could point, be a test run. Know? Just try it out. If it works, great. It if seemed, it doesn't. It seems like they're, it's all coming together at one time because, of course, we have the Gen 7 that's debuting in 2021. And then, of course, they're trying this whole street course thing in 2021 as well. And then uh, something about they're experimenting with hybrid powertrains as well yeah I, I read something about that it, it, it sounds kind of like the curse was to formula one the kinetic energy recovery system mm -hmm. which pretty much under braking it stores power and then the driver hits a button it's kind of a boost and it gives them a little boost or an acceleration yeah i would say kind of like indies equivalent to push to pass so it's oh oh um you're talking about um i'm having a moment i think i know what you're talking about is it where the you're talking about the rear wing? It, that's the like drag formula reduction one. system. That's the, the DRS. DRS. That's Formula One. I'm sorry, yeah. Whereas the curves was a completely different system mm -hmm. where a driver pushed a button and you only had so much stored up over the course of a lap. Yeah. It would either restart every lap or the brakes would build it up and then you'd hit a button and whatever stored, you'd get that little boost. Okay, so you didn't have a limit on when you could do it because I know in Formula One with the DRS... There's only certain zones on the tracks, and you have to be within, I think it was a second. It's a second of the driver, of in, the front, driver in front of you. Which didn't help out at all at Abu Dhabi. Okay. It was a snooze fest oh, well, there at Abu Dhabi. Of course. Unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, but Formula One's also in the works of trying to make it a little more level of a playing field. And I saw Lewis Hamilton might be talking to Ferrari. Oh. Which is bad for me, because... 
I'm I'm not a big fan of Lewis Hamilton, but if he joins Scuderia Ferrari, what am I going to do? Uh, I'm a big to, I'm a big Ferrari you guy. You have to like him somehow. Mm. I mean, you don't have to be a fan of him, but you have to tolerate him. But then I think they're going to keep Charles Leclerc and give Sebastian Vettel the boot. Ooh, that's tough. That is tough because Vettel. I was ho- I was hoping for bigger things with him in Formula One, mm. but then that just hasn't happened. But and that's it. Yeah, I mean, that's as far as the news goes. And it, it's, it wasn't much. Yeah, just. It's, the introduction of possibly going street racing, which is great with the independent rear suspension of the yeah, I mean it's Gen Seven car. I think it'll be interesting to watch. It's it'll be like I said, exciting and both nerve wracking at the same time. I mean NASCAR is probably reaching out there wanting to get say Honda as a manufacturer at this point, or maybe even Hyundai. But know? what NASCAR needs to watch out for is again alienating the hardcore fans or the fans they have now for sacrificing to try to get new ones I, this song sounds familiar that they're getting that they're warming up to getting ready to play oh what is that the whole look for new fans but forget the old ones i mean they need to be careful i mean i'll butt in and say that they're that's i'm one of those people and they're about to uh i mean i'm i won't ever it's not, I'm, I'm not saying that i'm gonna stop watching the sport but like I don't love the way the direction is of NASCAR at this point. They're they are alienating not so much fans. In, not so much anymore with Steve Phelps and Jim France behind the wheel. Yeah, I would love to have a future episode in the off season that just talk about you know what we might agree and not agree on of what NASCAR is doing at this point because I have a lot I would love to say. Well, throughout the course of this decade, we could go into that because there's a lot that happened in the 360 races through this oh, decade. Where there's, we're talking first-time winners. We're talking fights, but championships. Then, but, but then on the political side of it, if you look at it like that, with Brian France running day-to-day operations, Vice Jim France mm-hmm. running day-to-day operations, I think I've seen the nine-and-day difference. Mm-hmm. I've never liked Brian France ever since he took the helm in 2003. He's made some good calls, some common sense calls, like once the caution comes out, field's frozen. Yeah. And that's all I could think about. And even then, Jim France is still kind of growing on me. He has yet to prove himself to me, I think, because you asked me what his accomplishments are, and I can't think of any offhand, except bringing in Steve Phelps and Steve being engaged with the drivers, and Jim being engaged at the racetrack. Brian was hardly there, and when he was there, after the race, he would get arrested for stuff. <laughs> We're going more into that. <laughs> but then, also on one more note before we get too crazy into that, we got our T-shirts in. Yeah, I, I'm wearing mine right now. Yeah, I'm wearing, wearing mine yours. right now. And I love it. They are for sale. We'll post up on the Facebook page if you want one. Yeah. There's information on the Facebook page about them. I, I think they're great. Yeah, this is cool. I love it. And hopefully we'll like, be coming out with more stuff. If these sell well, we'll come out with more stuff. The ball is slowly rolling. Slowly. Slowly. But enough about the t-shirts here. Let's get into the decade. So we had 360 races, 37 race winners, seven champions among those 37 race winners, 10 drivers retired, likes of Jeff Gordon, Dale Jr., Tony Stewart, Carl Edwards, big names of the sport. And then we had 16 first-time winners, most of them coming at Daytona. Wow. So out of all that, we have a decade of racing, 360 races over 10 years. Mm -hmm. What sticks out to you? A couple of different, I mean, are we just going off of like a season or are we going off of moments here? Because I've got different moments in NASCAR, I guess you could say. But it's not, they might not have to do with like winning per se, you know, 
a big one was the 2012 Daytona 500, just in general. That was a good race. The race getting moved from, well, it got postponed from Sunday because it was raining, which that became the first Daytona 500 to ever get postponed. Yep. And then they wanted to run the middle of the day, and then it had to get pushed back even further into prime time. We're talking 7 o'clock on a Monday night, and you're having to compete with all these other, you know, usual Monday night spots on TV with other shows and stuff like that. Right. And then, of course, we all remember the Juan Pablo Montoya incident with the jet dryer. That was crazy. He had something wrong with his car on lap 159, almost 40 laps away from the completion of this race. Yeah. Spins, hits his jet dryer. Well, something broke. Something broke, spins, and hits the jet dryer. Yeah. The means at the end is he hit the jet dryer. Oh, he, Terry he Labonte, about demolished that jet dryer through the wall. <laughs> Terry Labonte ran... Over the fuel, sparked it, fireball, and it took, let's see, two hours and five minutes to extinguish the fire and clean up the track. Yeah, that man, that was, it. I know a lot of people were on pins and needles on that because they were wondering, oh, is the track even going to be raceable at this point after that? And after two laps, it didn't even matter. It's like, no, go. It did. No, it did Ma- And Matt Kenseth won that race. That was a long that time. That finished just... Tuesday morning, technically. Yeah, it did. It? I don't remember it what finished... time it was. Early. Probably like just after midnight or so, probably one o'clock, I think. Something was. like that. It was kind of the equivalent of our Darlington race. Oh, this it, past year? Yeah, minus the fire. Okay, I thought you were talking about just in time general because I went to, I think it was the first Darlington throwback race they did. They had, I want to say it was 18 cautions, if I remember correctly. It took like over five hours to race the whole race. And Darlington's one of those tracks, too, that slows down. You get fast, fast, and then it just slows yeah, way absolutely. down to me. You're right. That, so that was a good one. Jimmy Johnson winning his fifth championship in a row in 2010. That's a big one. And going on to win two more, claiming his seventh in 2016. Mm-hmm. That was a great memory for me, or seeing him do that even throughout the you know the course of last decade into this decade, and only winning two more. He just kind of hit a plateau there and stopped. Yeah. He still ranks up there as one of the greatest, I guess you could say. Well, in this decade, he has... 36 career wins and three championships. Definitely more, obviously, more championships than anybody else. The, sec- the person to come in second behind that is Kyle Busch with two. Mm-hmm. And even then, that was a 2015 season, which a lot of people say that's an asterisk by that. Yeah. Because it wasn't just him driving the Eminem's Camry that year. It was, I think, likes of Eric Jones drove it. David Reagan drove it, I think, a little bit there. Yeah, I don't quite remember who was driving it was a combination. It's a combination of a lot of people. That's something I'd have to look up again. I don't quite remember. But then he won it this past season, finishing off the decade. Even with all of his criticism of the high downforce package, can't pass. Still ekes out a championship. Yeah. Didn't hear him complain about the car then. No. <laughs> but then I think one of the biggest stories of the decade was Chase Elliott winning his first race at Watkins Glen. How Happy everybody was to see that. Mm-hmm. To me, overshadowed by the fact that Brian France then got arrested with possession of a controlled substance DUI. He was pretty much put on indefinite leave of suspension, which was made official in 2019. He's no longer going to be coming back as CEO, CEO of NASCAR, which what, is great. What a crazy decade. I couldn't, ever since he took the helm in 2003, couldn't stand him. My wife would could tell you straight up, he does, Matt does not like Brian France. Yeah. Never has, never will. Because he just kept making too many changes. He made a few good ones, like field frozen under caution. He was behind the uh, points change, I 
2011, he changed the point system to make it simpler, 43 for first and one point for last. Still, his legacy is drowned just by bad mo- bad moves, controversies, this and that. It. You, you name, name it. it. You name it. He, <laughs> he just wasn't the best to be put into that position. But Jim France is, I think, a little more engaged than what Brian was. And we're starting to see that ever since 2018 when Jim came on board. Yeah, it's only been a year. But I think I've seen a little better product on the track. Yeah. And a little better, more, how can we make the racing more exciting? Also kind of keeping to our roots. Mm -hmm. Because he's the brother of the founder. The brother of Junior, Bill France Jr. Mm -hmm. So he's been at that table. He's grown up around the sport. Racer himself, much rather shows racing, but see all that didn't work out and then. Moved on to the corporate side of NASCAR, and I think he's been doing a great job. Busy decade it was. We saw, I mean, of course, like you said, we're, we we talked first-time winners. You've got, my mind just went blank for a second. First-time winners, then you have, you know, Johnson with the championships, Brian France getting arrested. We saw the introduction of the stage. Oh, yeah. Stage racing is awesome. I'm, well, back to differ, but, the uh, o- yeah. The only criticism i have to stage racing is i think it takes away from the fuel mileage even though the the last stage is half to race mm-hmm. i'd much rather of i don't know i'm kind of a purist in that but i like it it's grown on me but i missed the fuel calculations you never hear i or at least i haven't heard since stage racing was introduced can he make it on fuel yeah i've i that that was the one thing when they announced stage racing i immediately thought there goes any kind of fuel mileage racing whatsoever and i enjoy fuel mileage racing I that keeps me the that keeps heck me out of it that keeps me on the edge of the seat i mean just imagine being a crew chief on top of that pit box and doing calculations talking to your fuel man how much did you how much fuel did you get in that car how much does the can weigh right now and you're up there on the pit box doing all these calculations your drivers you're telling your driver oh you need to slow the car down and me and we're talking like a mere Half a second, you know, means a lot. Of Makes course, the difference I mean, in I've winning seen, or losing the race. I saw fuel mileage races. I can't remember what year it was. Charlotte, and I know it was the October Charlotte race when Dale Junior was leading. That everybody, the crowd was going nuts. Dude, Junior's gonna win. There he comes, white flag. Junior's gonna win, and they got down there to that back stretch in the turn three, ran out of gas, and Kevin Harvick passed him to win. And I can't remember who it was. They said it. Somebody had said it. They said the amount Junior needed was like the amount in like a juice box. Bummer. That, that's how much gas he needed just to make it there, I guess you could say. Oh, well. I mean, we and fuel mileage came into Paul Menard when he won the Brickyard 400. Of course, 2011, we'll talk about 2011, first-time winners. Paul Menard won the Brickyard 400 on fuel mileage. One of the most exciting races I'd probably seen in quite some time. I mean, you're talking, I can't remember how many people were near the front that were all running off of fuel mileage, but you had like Jamie McMurray, Mark Martin was one of them, and then you have all these guys that are dropping off. And then Jeff Gordon comes to pit road. He's got tires. He's got fuel. And here he comes. And Paul Menard wins that. The happiest day in your NASCAR experience. Absolutely. Paul Menard got that win. It was great. But I'm just going to go back to 2011 in general. I got to see Regan Smith win at Darlington, our first-time winner, which coming to that restart with two laps to go, and you got Carl Edwards on. I think Carl Edwards was restarting on the outside, if I'm not mistaken. And I'm thinking to myself, Carl Edwards is going to go right by Regan Smith, and Carl Edwards is going to win this race. Guess what? Carl Edwards never passed him. And that was a surprise to me because usually on Darlington, you're you're looking at new tires are the way to go. But Regan Smith took a gamble, and he hit the jackpot. But then also the Cinderella story of Trevor Bain winning that Daytona 500 in 2011. 
did that also come down to a restart with a couple laps to go? I can't quite remember. I can't remember offhand, but I know that was when tandem racing was big. Yeah, and, and drivers could talk to each other and yeah. say, "Let's do this." Let's. Oh, they had the. They could talk to each other on the radio. Yeah, right? they switched. They, the... they switched channels and. Yeah, I think it wasn't on the steering wheel. I don't think some were very innovative with that. Some yeah. were on steering wheels. Some were right here by the driver. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed the Daytona 500 at that point too. I think there was 16 cautions in that Daytona 500, if I remember correct. I don't remember offhand. I don't have the stats for cautions per race. I apologize for that. But that was, I do remember that one being a long one. That had a lot of cautions in it. I that, mean, that was the first Daytona 500. I watched flag to flag in a while. Mm-hmm. I lived in Japan for a while and couldn't watch the Daytona 500 hardly. You know, I kind of fell off the sport, kind of like what you're going through right now. I just fell off the sport. It's like, it's, it's this and that. And something sparked me to get back into it. And I think it was that race. Yeah. And then I started really keeping up with it from there. But that was a fun race, the 2011 Daytona 500. The 2011 in general was a crazy season to me. David Reagan got his first win at Daytona for the 400-mile race. Mm-hmm. A lot of first-time winners. I, the most out of the decade was 2011 for first-time winners. Yeah. I think NASCAR was also – was it NASCAR or was it just – I think it was NASCAR was doing some weird promotion with the first-time winners. They were getting, like, extra cash or something like that. I don't remember what it was. It was some weird yeah, – Another bet, $5 bet. Oh, goodness. Who won the 2011 Rookie of the Year? Well, can I at least get the list of the Rookies of the Year? No, no, you don't. You can't get the race of rookie contenders because that race, that list was long. But it, yeah, but the 2011 Rookie of the Year, right? I probably owe you a lot of money at this point. Andy Ladley. Andy Lally. Lally, yeah. L e is it L a i l l y? L a l l y. Yeah, Andy Lally. I remember Andy Lally. I don't remember him. I do. He wasn't really a big name, but I do remember him. Just. Based off the name. <laughs> but you want to know it's crazy. Who else won Rookie of the Year? He's now a truck series driver. Brett Moffitt won it in 2015. Wow. But then he, I look at these names. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. won it in 2013. I think he was racing against Danica at the time. That's something else we need to talk about. Danica Patrick. I wanted to see her succeed so bad. I would have loved to have seen her succeed. But my goodness, man. I don't know. Terrible. I don't know what it was. Her. I thought she got moved up the ranks too fast. I don't want to call it a crash and burn, but it was it was just week in and week out. Well, it was just, a crash and burn. It was definitely a big hill for her to climb. I thought it was a great thing for the sport. I was definitely rooting for her at the time. But then after a while, it kind of became like Ricky Stenhouse, and it was just like, wow, what's Danica going to do this week? You know, Is she going to wreck the car? I found it funny how I, I would watch the race, and, Caroline, and I would say no surprise there. Caroline's not even in the room. And she would ask, did Danica wreck? Mm-hmm. I thought that was hilarious how that happened. My buddies and I, when we go to Darlington, we used to do little fun bets of, hey, what lap is Ricky Stenhouse going to crash on this time? Or And he would which, never let us down. Or which lap is he going to wreck someone? Yeah, or that too. I, that, was <laughs> a, that, right. that was a big deal <laughs> a few years ago. How I think it was Talladega where he was wrecking everyone. Dave Taylor or Talladega. Yeah. But in the last four seasons... Big names have come up through the sport and won Rookie of the Year. Chase Elliott, Eric Jones, William Byron, and Daniel Hemrick going down. Oh, I'm still mad about that. Those guys are all successful. successful but then with Jimmy winner. leaving next year, Hemrick's name has come up quite a lot to fill his shoes. Hmm. Kozlowski's name has come up to fill his shoes. To fill Jimmy Johnson's shoes? Yep, to fill Jimmy Johnson's shoes. Really? A lot I of, don't see Roger Penske letting somebody like that get away, though. no. But at the same time, I think if the money's there, I think this is a contract year for Kozlowski. And if Hendrick offers him money, he will go over there to that Rick organization. Will offer anybody money. 
Hendrick, whatever he thinks he needs to do. Absolutely, he will. But then Kyle Larson won it in 2014. But a lot of these names and a lot of the rookie contenders aren't there anymore. They A lot are, but a lot aren't. Ah, here's another case for Austin Dillon. Hamrick won the rookie of the year. Austin Dillon didn't. <laughs> Not that it means anything, because Dale Jr. didn't win rookie of the year in 2000. Yeah. <laughs> Matt Kenseth did. But Matt Kenseth went on to win a championship in 2003. At this then, point, Daniel Hamrick, Daniel Hamrick could call you to be his attorney. You go to bat for that guy any day. At I this will point. lose so much for him because I don't know anything about law. I, I just like the guy. I like Daniel Hamrick. Maybe get him on the show. Try to get him on the show one day. Yeah. But then you have 18 drivers retired in the course of this decade from full-time driving with the likes of Matt Kenseth, Tony Stewart, Dale Jr., Paul Menard in this year, Jeff Gordon, Carl Edwards, Casey Kane, which is crazy because his last race was the 2018 Bojangles Southern 500. And according to my sources, he was stayed out to try to get on the lead lap. Mm-hmm. He was racing the Levain family racing. He, he was trying to stay on the lead lap, and they got him on the lead lap at the cost of bringing him in and replacing fluids, and apparently he almost died that race. I do now. I remember what you're and they talking just, about. And I think they went out to a test to try to get him cleared. Lasted forty laps, and the doctor pulled the plug on that one. Yeah, which is unfortunate. But then Brian Figures, Juan Pablo Montoya, Marcus Ambrose, two great road racers, AJ Allmendinger, Bobby and Terry Labonte both retired from full time competition. Danica Patrick did as well. Jeff Burden and Michael Waltrip. Brian Vickers was just another unfortunate. That was. That was. But just, that's that's a good field right there of is, drivers. Yeah, absolutely. That has retired and moved on. And do you think that that list right there, especially with the names like Junior, Gordon, Stewart, affected ratings? Yes, I will absolutely. I won't even hesitate. Yes, I mean Jeff Gordon was a. When you would talk about NASCAR to people that don't really watch it a lot, they would bring up the names of. Those names would be like synonymous with NASCAR. You know, you talk about it, and they would. Jeff Gordon would probably come to somebody's mind, just like back in the late '90s. You would talk about NASCAR to people that don't really know the sport very well. Dale Earnhardt is going to come to everybody's minds immediately, right? And so, yes, absolutely. Jeff Gordon was a big name for NASCAR. Tony Stewart was another big name for NASCAR. And I'm not saying that because of his incident that he had at that one track. Oh, in New racing. York. Yeah, that was terrible. I mean, just aside from that. He was still big to NASCAR, still is, because he owns a team now, part owner. What was the other names you had earlier? Uh, Carl Edwards. I think that was a, a surprise. An easy fan favorite for sure for people. And, I mean, him wanting to step back from racing to spend time with his family, I can totally understand. You know, that's him. You, know, you can't bag on the guy. That's what Paul Menard wanted to do. He was ready to step back and spend time with his family. Yeah, he's not synonymous with NASCAR, but everybody's different and how long they really want to race for. Carl Edwards, do I see him coming back ever? Probably not. I don't think he would ever want to come back now at this point. No, I don't think he will either. That's unfortunate. I really liked watching Edwards. I think a lot of people liked watching Edwards. But do I think that had to do with the ratings in NASCAR? Yeah, probably. Jeff Gordon was such a great... But then you have new names coming in. The the Chase Elliott's, Kyle Larson. Chase Elliott resonates with the fans very well. Extremely well. Who else has come in over the decade that's really shown up? Well, Austin Dillon probably wouldn't count as one. He would. He, he well, draw, yeah, but he's driving not, the three car. Well, yeah. Okay, so people. Alex well, Bowman. That's he's another, another one. good one. Ryan Blaney. Fantastic driver as well. Bubba Wallace. A lot of these drivers coming up actually have good fan support, I would say. 
But then you have drivers ch- taking their places like Clint Boyer. He's a great driver, great ambassador for the sport. Denny Hamlin, of course. Keselowski's a good one. Even Kyle Busch, as much as you love to hate him, he, he's a draw. Mm-hmm. People like watching him race. So I don't think the retirement of, say, Jeff Gordon hurts the sport. Drivers retire every decade. You had the Pearsons retire, Richard Petty retire with people. It's a change into the guards. It's a natural flow of sports. You can't do this forever. Yeah. And I talked to a woman once in Darlington who said, this was before juniors last year. She said, I'm, I don't know who I'm going to pull for. I might just stop watching racing altogether when junior retires. Oh, and my response was Yankee fans didn't stop watching the Yankees and supporting the Yankees. When Derek Jeter retired, when those big names of the sport retire, remember them, but then look to the future and remember that this happens every decade. You Harvick's going to retire soon. Jimmy Johnson's retiring at the end of next season. Somebody will be put in their place, run that race to do well, and to carry the banner forward. Yeah. Paul Menard retired this year, but I'm not going out and saying that, you know, I'm not going to stop watching the sport. Like, I'm going to choose William Byron. I'm going to choose another young guy to watch his career. Or I'm going to go to Front Row Motorsports, you know. Yeah. I think that that team is going to eventually be something. It just takes time. They're eventually going to be teamed up with Joe Gibbs Racing at the rate Gibbs is going and taking over teams. <laughs> Hendrick, need, Hendrick and Penske need to jump on that, and Stuart Haas needs to jump on that bandwagon. That's going to be weird. It just seems weird. It's almost like, it's how, it almost sounds like you're going to have like a big powerhouse, like a powerhouse four goblin teams so, up. And so Joe Gibbs found a way around that four-team rule. Yeah. I do want to ask, when did that rule come into effect? That was in this decade, wasn't it? If if I remember correctly, I think that was sometime in this decade. I don't recall offhand, but it Anyways. was a, it was a cost saving initiative. Any, which yeah, okay. So then I was we found ask the loophole. If it was, do you agree with a cap of how many cars you can field in a race, as in team wise? You know, as I in know team wise, Hendrick has four cars. You know, and front row only has three. I think that will limit the possibility of new manufacturers coming in because eventually if you have Hendrick, Penske, Stuart Haas, and Gibbs running the board and fielding a 40-car field, whether it's truck, Xfinity, or cup, you're going to have that limitation that somebody's got to give. Then there goes to Richard Petty's Motorsports, the front row motorsports to go fast racing where Honda could come in or Dodge or another manufacturer could come in, take the ball with that and run. So it's difficult to say... No, because I remember a time where teams were run. I remember Jack Roush running four cars, and now he's down to a two-car operation. Yeah, it's always the cap's always been on unofficially four. That's about as much as people could handle financially. I think I don't mind having little. I wouldn't say farm teams, satellite teams, satellite teams, because Levain has come a long way since they partnered with Gibbs. Yeah, just like Furniture Row Racing. Furniture Row did great. Was there? Then all of a sudden they started winning all the races and. Gibbs was like, whoa. Gibbs said, no, I got to pull the plug on that, yeah. which is a downside to that. Yeah. And then Truex went to Gibbs along with his crew chief, and then we all know what happened to Furniture Row after that. Anyways. That was a good market for them, too, Colorado. Mm-hmm. When you, come, when you talk about the cap on the amount of cars you can have in a race, I mean, that's kind of synonymous with the whole, in this decade, the charter system. You know, first we went from 43 to 40 cars to begin with, and then you have the charter where it's, 36 teams, and then you have four go-or-go-homers. I guess the and, term is still used. And I miss that go-or-go-home, the provisionals. That yeah. made it 
fun to watch qualifying. I just it's but, NASCAR's oh well. becoming such a money strenuous sport, and you know, it, at first it was interesting with the whole charter system because then you had teams. I you you would go into a, an off season. And, you know, we have silly season where drivers are getting moved over and then you go into an off season and you have, you know, this team says, oh, you know what, we're getting ready to sell our charter because we're going to cut down to one team. When Richard Petty went down to one car and then they're over here trying to sell their charter to other teams. I don't know, it made it exciting, but like I said, it just is a strenuous, a money strenuous sport at this point. Yeah, I think it's always been money strenuous, but I don't think to the point where like the big teams will suffer if they don't have more or less... I think they're going to find a way around it. Gibbs have found a way around it. And Stuart Haas supplies chassis to go fast. Mm-hmm. So I'm not really worried about that. Teams will find a way to find loopholes for their betterment and to earn money. So I'm not worried about that. But then I also have this. Uh, Daryl Waltrip is retiring from broadcasting at the end of this season for Fox. Going down to a two-man booth, Mike Joy and Jeff Gordon. I like that. Larry McMurrells may come back into the booth then. I would like that. I like old Larry Mack. But I think they need to bring back Alan Bestwick to something. I always liked Alan Bestwick. I, yeah, Alan Bestwick was always a good one, too. I don't know. I'm sure they'll add somebody to that third Fox. Maybe not even Larry Mack. Maybe they keep Larry Mack. And uh, I don't even know what he, his technical role is in that whole thing. I don't need like but he's a technical like, an guru. analyst, or I, I can't remember. They always bring him in at certain points in the race. He's like the strategy analyst or something like that. Right? Because he used to be a crew chief, of course. I don't know. Fox would probably bring in a third guy. I mean, there was this decade was filled with just everything. You you name it, things were happening. Yeah, the first Darlington throwback, very successful, very, in my opinion. I look forward to that every year. It. I, I don't know how many more years they can probably go with it. They could go on for a while with that. I'd say at this point. I know that, like, every throwback race, they try to, like, go with, like, a decade. Like, you know, this past year was 1990 to 94, I believe it was. Yep. But most of the paint schemes that come out have nothing to do with that era. A lot of guys... come out with throwback paint schemes. That's it. Don't limit it. We don't need a decade. We don't need to... Well, maybe, maybe you could use a decade in there, but I don't know. I feel like they don't need to, because... At that point, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, we're coming up with paint schemes in that 90s era, but there's half the field don't have paint schemes from that era. They're going with the 80s or even the early 2000s, you know? Yeah, like, just go out there, do a throwback. It's fun to watch so out many the throwback schemes you could do. And so, I think that was a, a popular time in NASCAR. I think that was one time when, well, the track, Darlington got it right. Darlington was the one that came up with the idea, but that helps NASCAR. Right. I mean, you're talking about, I think races have sold out at Darlington the past couple of years or gotten very close to. I mean, it gets very packed there. It does. And you, that's a good, that's what I like to see. Even with the rain and it's starting at 10, people were still there. People, yeah, absolutely. So this decade, vice 2000 to 2009, better mm-hmm. or worse? I guess you could say better. I don't know. It's It hit a decline there around 2008, 2009, 2010 with the economy. But then I think it's starting to bounce back. The decades, they have their ups and downs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just looking at this decade in general, yeah, it had ups and downs. Right now, I don't want to, in my opinion, I kind of feel like it's on a decline again. But this was a great decade. Don't get me wrong. Looking at everything that happened in the decade, NASCAR had a lot going on in this decade. Let's put it that way. I think the future is bright for next decade. And who knows, in our 10th season, we'll be looking back at this episode and saying, wow, 
how far we've come, how I, far the sport's I, come. I think NASCAR has got big things coming for them. And, you know, like we said near the start of the show when we're talking about the whole street course, that's a big thing coming up for NASCAR. I mean, they could draw a lot more people in. I understand that you don't want them to alienate fans, but this could draw fans in. This could draw manufacturers in. I think the introduction of more road courses will bring more fans in because we, they, a lot of fans want to see more road course and short track racing. They're yeah. kind of tired of the mile, half, and, mile and a half cookie yeah. cutter. Something that requires more skill to drive. I'm not saying, now don't get me wrong, don't. I know people would love to hold feet to fire on this one and quoting people, but I'm not saying that it's not difficult to drive at a mile and a half racetrack at all. I'm just thinking that we need other tracks to prove your, um, what would you call it? I'd hate to use the word worthiness of nascar yeah i guess you could say that but just to make it more interesting yeah we want to see your skill exactly skill that's what i was looking for i want to see more skill you know i'm not like i said not saying that mile and a half are easy to drive i just road courses prove a lot of skill right in my opinion anything else no i think well, it's hard to try and fit a show like this in in under an hour. It's some I know we we don't like to go over an hour. There's so much that happened in this decade that we could talk for days almost about the whole decade in general. Right, and I know we bounce back and forth to different topics, but we I think we hit the big points that we thought off off like first time winners. Yeah, Kyle Busch winning forty races in a decade, mm-hmm. huge. And that guy still has more to go. And I'd like to see Jimmy Johnson's last win was Kansas in. I think 2017. And then he hit the wall in Pocono. Remember that? He hit the wall in Pocono with brake failure. Yeah. Hasn't won since. I think that might have had something. Ever since then, he just hasn't been driving Jimmy Johnson racing. Yeah. Maybe that could have been. Maybe we don't know anything because something behind closed doors could be happening to lead him to believe that maybe he needs to step away. Because when allies said that they were going to stay as a sponsor on that car through 2023, I believe it was. Um, I'm thinking to myself, oh, Johnson 2023 would probably be then. You know, Johnson's got a sponsorship locked up, and then, boom, we're all blindsided by it. Hey, I'm leaving after next season. I'm calling it quits. So what do we have to look forward to this decade, 2020 on to 2029, which sounds like a far way away, but it really isn't. I believe we're looking forward to NASCAR growing again. I mean, we could probably say that NASCAR kind of shrunk at times because a lot of, I wouldn't say a lot of tracks, some tracks got rid of seats. They're not selling as many tickets anymore. I think I see NASCAR boosting ticket sales again. I believe the whole street course idea is going to pay off. I am excited. I look forward to it. I love road course racing. I think that'll pay off. I'm really curious to see how the Gen 7 is going to work out. I think that will work too. I have my, I'm optimistic about it. I have my reasons why I believe it'll work. I don't know how you, what you think. I don't know your take of the Gen 7 is. I can't wait till it comes out. I think it'll be more cost efficient for the teams, putting more money, and they'll find a way around it. They'll read this and engineer it to their liking and their standards. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to the changes in the schedule coming after 2020. Yeah, so... at this point, 2020 will probably be, the, the new decade will probably get off to a slow start because nothing's happening in 2020, really. Like you said, the schedule well, the double changes. He- double header Pocono. I'm looking forward to that. Well, yeah. But then I think 2021 will be the real make or, make or break for NASCAR. this decade in NASCAR because of the release of the Gen 7. Street courses work out great. Maybe 
taking some tracks off the schedule, adding some on. Attracting manufacturers, hopefully. Manufacturers coming into the sport. I believe that that will help, especially with, you know, the advances in automotive technology over the past five years. Yeah, I, I hate this. I hate to see how, I mean, like, it's it's cool to see how far NASCAR has come and the changes that they have made almost kind of stuck in that old mindset as to, like, older fans, how they'll, they'll, they'll say, oh, man, you know, I miss the older days of NASCAR, but, you know, this is the world we live in. Everything is ever so changing, and NASCAR is just going to continue to, yeah, and I, I guess think, you could say, apply to the modern times. And I think it, once fans realize that there is change, you can't live without change. That mm-hmm. it, it will look better for that. I've I've grown to accept it. I'm not on the inside. I don't know what NASCAR is thinking. I would like to know, but we don't. We just got to trust that they're going to make the right decisions for the company and therefore the fans. I believe in it. I believe in NASCAR. I will stick it out until the end. I, I think we're on an upward swing, and we'll, we'll see that in this decade. All right, so anything else? Anything else got to add? I, I think that was a good... I've got show, not what we originally wanted to do, but no, I've got nothing else to add. I think talking about the decade was great. I enjoyed it. Like I said, we could talk about the decade for days and days. Maybe we'll do a Formula One decade and an IndyCar decade, but in the upcoming shows, we fun to think of ideas like this on the off season and then come Daytona next year, get back into talking about racing. Yeah. So we're out of time here at In the Marbles in our coverage of the decade. We could have gone on, I feel forever on this. But I think we got a good start on it. Got a lot of good topics out there. We can kind of run down the rabbit hole a few times, talking about other stuff. Again, the sport, of the, the future of the sport is bright to me. And that will about do it for our episode here. Yes, that, that it will. Uh, we want to thank everybody for tuning in and listening to the show. As always, we enjoyed talking about the decade of NASCAR with you, the fans. Uh, be sure to like the show on Facebook and on Instagram by searching in the marbles and on Twitter at marbles in for Matt Beamer across the table. I am Preston Lude. We will talk to everybody next week. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.